that, we're uh, back in our study of Ephesians, and we have gotten to Ephesians chapter 6, verse 4, and I'm going to read the context this morning, again reading from Ephesians chapter 6, verse 1, through Ephesians chapter 6, verse 9. Hear now the word of the Lord. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment, with a promise, so that it may be well with you, and that you may live long on the earth. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Slaves, be obedient to those who are your masters according to the flesh, with fear and trembling, in the sincerity of your heart as to Christ." not by way of eye service as men-pleasers, but as slaves of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart. With good will, render service as to the Lord and not to men, knowing that whatever good thing each one does, this he will receive back from the Lord, whether slave or free. And masters do the same things to them, and give up threatening, knowing that both their master and yours is in heaven, and there is no partiality with him." Amen? Okay, so, uh, by way of review, I just want to kind of remind you of the things that we talked about last week, and we were looking specifically at verse 4, chapter 6, verse 4, and we'll be looking at that same verse again today, Excuse me, which says, And fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline of and instruction of the Lord. And so the one of the things we pointed out was that in instructing the father about parenting, that that by by virtue of that is also a directive to the mothers. And so it could equally be said, mothers do not provoke your children to anger. Wouldn't it be kind of ludicrous to think that God would want fathers not to provoke their children to anger, but it would be just fine for mothers to do such a thing? Right? So, obviously, the the scope of the directive is to parents and not just fathers, although fathers do bear chiefly the responsibility for headship in the home. And it is the father's responsibility to see to it that the mother does not provoke the children to anger. Okay? And so, we also talked about the fact that if we'll just stop and take a look at this commandment from God to bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord, that there is much that is being implied here. That it's not just some very specific thing that is just uh, real cut and dry and laid right out for us here in the verse. But instead, and rather, when he talks about bring them up, bring those kids up in the discipline of the Lord, what all must that imply? And I want to suggest, as I did last week, that in the Jewish mind, this had a very powerful significance. Okay? And maybe not even just in the Jewish mind, but in the, uh, in the Gentile minds of those who had been exposed to Judaism. As you know that uh, uh, in Paul's missionary journeys, he was in many Gentile territories, but he made a regular practice of going to the synagogues and preaching and evangelizing from there. And that there was a, quite a presence of Judaism in the, in the uh, Gentile world. Well... <clears throat> If you know much about Judaism, you realize that Judaism is a very didactic faith. It's something that is rooted and grounded in instruction. Specifically, the discipline and the instruction of the Lord. So, when we look at this verse and it says, bring them up in the discipline and in the instruction of the Lord, that there is much that is being said here. There is much that is, is being applied to us. And we shouldn't just gloss right over that, but we ought to stop to consider what that must mean. I uh, I told you that I had uh, left these handouts up here for you called Teach Them Diligently. And what this is is just a brief outline of the text in Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 1 through 9. 
And uh, you might be familiar with uh, this passage of Scripture, which is commonly referred to as the Shema, which is the Hebrew word for hear, which is the first word of verse 4 of Deuteronomy chapter 6. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. Right? And so, there is the commandment in Deuteronomy chapter 6 for the parents to diligently teach their children to love God with everything that is within them and to diligently teach them the entire panoply of the law of God or the commandments of God. Okay? Here is the instruction of the Lord, the Shema in Deuteronomy chapter 6. And so... I'm suggesting that in the mind of the Apostle, when he writes something like this, bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord, what is in the forefront of his mind is the Shema. It is the idea of the responsibility that parents have to impart to their children the knowledge of God. Okay? Which can be found in many places in the Bible. Right? Throughout the Bible uh, is the revelation of God. Okay, as far back as Genesis chapter 1 and, and Revelation chapter 22, you're going to find the knowledge of God. And this is what Paul is saying. He's saying, bring those kids up, not just in the knowledge of God, but in the discipline of God, in the instruction of God. And of course, we talked about what that was, that uh, uh, those words are translated uh, in, in other translations very closely to discipline and instruction, but that both words have a very similar meaning. One emphasizes more of a corrective action, and the other emphasizes more of an instructive action. But both of them carry the idea of admonition. Both of them carry the idea of a a strong corrective training and or instruction. And so, um, and you can check that out by looking in other translations. Um, the King James has a, uh, a translation of the word padea, which is the word discipline in the NAS. And, and it says there, in the nurture. King James says, bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Okay, and the, Of course, the word nurture has a little bit more to do with giving uh, that substance and that care and that provision for the child. But even so, that substance, that care, that provision cannot be distinguished from the knowledge of God. Okay? So, last week we went on through and and discussed what it meant to bring them up in the discipline of the Lord. And we talked about the idea of discipline. And we talked about uh, uh, the very nature... Uh, of the child demands that there be discipline in the process of maturing. And um, which brings us today to the idea of bring them up in the instruction of the Lord. And just uh, one, one last note about discipline. Remember that we were saying that uh, we would need to do several things there. We would need to establish proper authority that that authority had to be established. You couldn't just wake up one morning and think it was going to happen by osmosis, but that indeed you have to assert your authority as a parent. That the parent must give directives if the child is to obey their parents in the Lord, for this is right. The parent needs to assert directives to the child. The parent needs to assert uh, standards and guidelines for the child. Right? And that needs to be done consistently. We had a lot of really good comments, good wisdom from, from parents helping us to understand what that, what that uh, is like. But uh, it isn't just to establish the authority, but that that authority is to, to be in the child's best interest, not the parent's. So there is a real selfless idea in parenting. There is a real idea of godly love, which is to say that for the parent, most of this is really going to be hard work. And many times it's going to be very unpleasant. And many times it's going to stretch and pull your patience, right? But that, uh, nevertheless, the goal is to do what is in the child's best interest, right? Not our own. We don't discipline our kids because they're inconvenient. That would be utter selfishness. 
that would be sinful. Amen? We discipline our kids because we love them and it is in their best interest that they learn to walk in the path which God has laid out before us. Amen? And then, and then uh, lastly, we just said that um, it is God's will, not yours, that the child should ultimately learn to obey. And that the purpose and the reason of teaching the child obedience to your will is to teach them obedience to God's will. The ultimate goal in teaching that obedience is that when that child is full grown, he or she knows how to obey God and sees obeying God in the right uh, perspective that they should, that this is the preeminent commandment in all of their life, to learn how to submit to the authority of God and to obey Him. That's the ultimate goal there in teaching the child obedience, right? Which falls in line with the idea of the ultimate goal in parenting overall, being that our children would be saved. Amen? And so toward that end, what do we do? Well, we bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Amen? So when we talk about discipline, here's what we're talking about. Basically, establishing authority doing what is in their best interest, teaching them obedience to the will of God, and then enforcing that authority. Enforcing those directives. Okay? And the idea of, of discipline here is to bring enforcement. We uh, looked at the Greek definition, which was to train and to chasten. Education and training and or disciplinary correction chastisement okay the idea is to make sure that the child stays on the path by enforcing your directives and enforcing in your home the knowledge of God okay and um, so if you will that brings us to bringing them up in the instruction of the Lord okay bringing them up in the instruction of the Lord the word instruction in the Greek is the word nuthesia. Nuthesia. And it means a mild reproof or admonition. A mild rebuke or warning. Okay? To admonish. So the idea, the, the, and really a, a really good English word for this is admonish. And that's why the King James translates it in the admonition of the Lord. Okay? This is very much of an admonition. Uh, but at the same time, it is instruction. Because what do you do? What are you doing when you're admonishing a child? You're instructing him, right? You're, you're giving him instruction as to the way he should go, right? Okay? So, the idea then, to bear in mind here, is instruction and or admonition. Instruction or admonition. So... What I did was I kind of summarized this for you uh, in some points that, in, in my mind, having a biblical view of what the instruction of the Lord must mean, in my mind it has these, these categories. Okay? And so I wrote them out for you here. The instruction of the Lord okay, has to do with these four points right here. To fear God, to pursue wisdom, to love God, and to learn to discern. Okay? And I want to talk to you about those things this morning. But before we go there, before we discuss what is the instruction of the Lord, think about this. That the idea of bringing them up in the instruction of the Lord is to say that the nature of your parenting process is didactic. Are you with me? And you know how I've explained to you many times about that the Christian faith is by nature didactic. What happens when we get together? Well, somebody's always teaching us, right? We're always learning. We get the word uh, didactic is the same is, is the word is a word that means teaching, okay? And and so what do we do when we get together? Well, we're always being taught. We're always learning. Why? Because we have a deficiency of wisdom. We have a deficiency of knowledge. Okay, we, we, When we got saved, we were utterly carnal and utterly in darkness. We did not have the light of life 
the knowledge of God was something we were ignorant to. Right? Because we had hard, calloused hearts. Scripture says that the mind of the unbeliever has been blinded by the God of this world. Right? So that he cannot see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ. Right? And so when we get saved, we're utterly carnal. We're utterly in darkness. And what happens? Well, God reveals Himself to us. He reveals to us the glory of Christ. And in that revelation is, is that regenerating process whereby God imparts to us the Holy Spirit. And then what happens? Well, the process of practical sanctification begins. And it doesn't end until you reach that state of glorification at the resurrection. So we're in this ongoing process of sanctification as Christians. And, and the very nature of that process is didactic. Because we're always learning more and more about the knowledge of, of God. Because as we gaze upon the face of Christ, this is how the, the language was 2 Corinthians, right? As we gaze upon the face of Christ, that is to say, as we look and see and embrace the knowledge of who God is and what He is like, the Scripture says, 2 Corinthians 3.18, we are transformed from glory to glory. So what's happening is, as we cognitively embrace who Christ is, and what God's law and His commandment is, and who God is and what His purpose is, our mind is conformed into that good mind of Christ. And when that takes place, that changes our behavior. It changes the very nature of who we are. Why? Because now when we view our world and we view our circumstances, we put it through the filter of the knowledge of God and we come out with a right response on the other side. Okay? That's the nature of the Christian faith. That's the nature of practical sanctification that's going on in the life of every Christian. Therefore... That makes the nature of your parenting process identical. Because why? Because you're teaching that child the knowledge of God. You're bringing them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Therefore, it's teaching, 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 teaching. Admonish, 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 admonish. Correct, 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 correct. Don't let that child grow up in the ignorance and in the folly that is bound up in his heart. Right? But set him on a straight path and teach him the right way to walk just like Christ is so faithful to do with us. Amen? Amen. Thy word is a what? It's a light unto my path. When I read the word of God, now my eyes can see where I'm walking. I have direction. I know where I'm going. God has instructed me in the good way that I should walk. Amen? Amen. Tanya? I don't mean to emphasize that we should always be busting our kids over the head with a Bible. <laughs> and I know you're not saying that I'm saying that, but what I was kind of getting at was 2 Timothy 3.16, right? Which says that all Scripture is good for... Right. So, in one of those words, Tanya, in there, is, is the word that is, depending on what translation you look at, encourage. Right? And encouragement, encouragement comes in several forms. Right? One is praise. Another is correction. Because when you praise them, they will increase doing the right thing. Uh-huh. Absolutely. I, I think that I, I think and we're even gonna talk about this today, that something that has to be in the air of the home is praises for virtue. Not necessarily, Johnny, you did the right thing, that's a very good thing. Of course we should do that. 
But the idea is, in the family, we are valuing virtue. How are we doing that? We're speaking about it in a very positive light. And we're praising that which is good and righteous and holy and true and noble. And we are disdaining what is evil and wicked and unrighteous and unholy. And so with our speech, we either praise those things or we denounce them. And this is how we train the the mind of the child. And so that would also include then, when Johnny does a good thing, we, we pat him on the back and we say, Johnny, that was a wonderful thing that you did. Right? And I would add, thank God that he gave you the grace to carry that out. The idea is to always point the child to the fact that God is providential in their sanctification. Right? And that we, all, we want to give all the glory to God. Right? Okay, so... <clears throat> uh, so, very much so. I agree with exactly what Tanya is saying, that it's not just correction and admonishment and so on and so forth, but that also includes, very much so, an encouragement every time they do good. Uh, and as often as possible, we want to encourage those kids and, and build them up and strengthen them and, and, uh, and praise them when they do good and not just admonish them when they do wrong. Amen? Okay. So, uh, so we've talked about the fact that when, it, when the Scripture says to bring them up in the instruction of the Lord, therefore the very nature of our parenting role is this, this idea of teaching. So, <clears throat> don't get the unrealistic expectation that you're going to tell your kids twice and they're going to get it. Right? My, my uh, beautiful, lovely mother is here this morning. <laughs> and I'm, I'm reminded of this thing about my mom that she taught me when I was a kid. She taught me to always be grateful be thankful. And I can remember my whole life growing up struggling with this idea of being grateful. Because I was would frequently, like many people do, I would grumble and I would complain about my circumstances. And my mom would say, you need to be grateful. You need to be thankful for what you have. Not everybody's blessed and has what you have. And she didn't want me to take for granted all of the good things that I had, right? And I think my poor mom at times was ready to pull her hair out, thinking, when is this kid finally going to get it, right? Well, and I've told you this before, but there, there came a time in my life when I was in my early 20s, and I began to realize that I had this disposition inside my heart of gratefulness. And that I would look at others and I would say, wow, uh, I have so much. You know, and, and I attribute that to the fact that my mom was constantly admonishing me that uh, in, in that and that she kept teaching me to be grateful and to be thankful for what I had. And uh, and so here's this thing, you know, you're not just going to tell your kids twice and they're going to get it. You're going to be telling them until the day they leave your home. And it's likely that when they leave your home, you're going you're gonna to sit and scratch your head and wonder, I wonder what they got, and if they got any of it. And then, as a matter of fact, they may go out and make choices, and you're going to be scratching your head with both hands. And you're going to be saying, what in the world? Is this my child? Is this the child that grew up in my house? Many of you have experienced those. Those kinds. My mom taught me <laughs> yeah, that happens too. That happens too. So, you know, what I'm trying to say is you need to have a realistic view of what parenting is like. Because there's going to be plenty of times when you've told your kids 25 times and they still don't get it. And you still need to be patient. Right? And so you don't want to get to that place where you've lost your patience and now you're responding uh, out of anger or responding out of frustration. That is very destructive. Okay? And that's going to tear down things that you've built up by your good instruction and admonishment and encouragement. Right? So we need to have a realistic view. This is some hard work. Raising up kids is not an easy thing. It's a constant battle. It's a constant struggle. Let me tell you, raising holy kids in, in postmodern America 
is a war. Amen? And Paul's, of course, raising kids in postmodern Greece, or pre-modern Greece, whatever you want to call it, was a war also. And that's why Paul tells us here shortly, Finally, brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. Put on the full armor of God that you may be able to stand in the day of evil. Amen? Well, your kids have to grow up in this fallen world. Okay? And it's going to be a war. It's going to be a battle. It's going to be a struggle. And you all are aware of that. Amen? If you're not, you're telling yourself fanciful dreams that aren't true. (laughs) So, consider then the tools and the equipment that God has given us so that those kids will be equipped to learn how to love God and to learn how to obey Him. Okay? I want to suggest that everything that your kids need for life and godliness is theirs by the knowledge of God. That's what first, Second Peter chapter 1, verse 3 says. His divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness through our knowledge of Him. Amen? And so what we need to do is we need to take all of that good equipment that God has given us and impart it to those kids. And that's what Paul means when he says, bring them up in the instruction of the Lord. Okay? So I tried to categorize it for you. And there may be other categories, but these are the ones that stood out to me about what does it mean. Let's define what is the instruction of the Lord. Okay? Well, generally speaking, I think it's these things. To fear God, to pursue wisdom, to love God, and to learn to discern. Okay? To learn to discern. I think you could just about fit every commandment of God underneath one of those. Okay? And uh, so let's talk a little bit about them. Uh, To teach them to fear God. To teach them to fear God. How many of you are familiar with that little phrase that keeps showing up in the Bible? The fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord. Somebody want to take a stab at telling us what that means, the fear of the Lord? Awesome reverence. Awesome reverence, okay. The beginning of wisdom, right? The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. In other words, you can't have any wisdom until you acquire the fear of the Lord or until you stand in that disposition of the fear of the Lord. Anybody else want to add to that? Greg? Okay, humility. Absolutely. Uh, An element of the fear of the Lord is having a humble disposition before God, right? As Peter tells us, humble yourself therefore under the what? Mighty hand of God that He might lift you up in due time, right? So the fear of the Lord certainly would include humility. Humility is that disposition that we have before holy, almighty God. Amen? Okay, so, the fear of the Lord. So, parents, bring them up in the fear of the Lord. That's what Paul's saying. Bring them up in the fear of the Lord. Teach them to fear God. Are you saying that my kids should be afraid of God? You better believe that's what I'm saying. Your kids should be afraid of God. Okay? Now, that's not to say that they shouldn't also see Him as a loving Heavenly Father where they can find their refuge and their strength. They should. Okay? But they need to have a right understanding of the fear of the Lord. Why should we fear God? Somebody tell me. Why should we fear God? He has the power to throw you into hell. Now, are those your words? I think it's a no. <laughs> who can tell me whose words those are? Jesus. The Lord Jesus. The Lord Jesus. You know who he's quoting? Isaiah. 
Isaiah chapter 8, I think it's verse 32, where he says that the Lord is to be your dread. Right? Jesus says, don't fear men, but fear God. Why? Why, Jesus? Because He has the power to destroy both your body and your soul in hell. Okay? So, it is important for you to teach your kids to fear God because God has the power to destroy them in hell. Sound like pretty heavy stuff? I'd say. I'd say it's pretty heavy stuff. And more than that, I think it's your responsibility as a Christian parent to teach it to your kids. Why? Because it's the words of the Lord Jesus Christ. And it is, in fact, a true reality that they need to learn. They need to know. They need to have a proper... You know, Carlos says the fear of the Lord is uh, awe and amazement, right? Or reverence. Yeah, reverent awe for God. Why should we be reverent and awe before God? Well, plenty of reasons. Plenty of reasons, right? But I think the central idea of fear, okay, is a, a, uh, a disposition of, of um, discomfort which comes from uh, harm or punishment, correct? Right? Don't get me wrong here. I'm, I'm going to bring this to balance. But you need to understand that the gospel message is something that carries with it the threatenings and the warnings of Scripture, as well as the good grace and love of God. Amen? And there is a very real reason why we need a Savior. There is a very real reason why we need a cross with a lamb and shed blood. Why? Because the Bible says God is He who requires blood. That's why. And that is something we should fear. We should fear the judgment of God more than we fear the judgment of men. We should fear the judgment of God more than we fear the approval of men. Amen? And furthermore, we should love the commendation of God or His good approval of us more than we should love the approval of men. Amen? Why? Because He's the great King. And over and over and over again, the Scripture tells us that God is going to bring every deed into judgment. Folly is in the heart of a child by nature. Your child's nature is sinful. By nature, your child naturally provokes God to wrath. That's what the Scripture says. Let me say that a different way. It's natural for your child to provoke God to wrath. That's what the Scripture says. Ephesians 2.3. Okay? Therefore, that, that God-provoking folly is bound up in their heart. And we have got to teach our kids not to provoke God to wrath. Amen? Why? Because God has the power to destroy our body and our soul in hell. That's why. Okay? You've got to tell them. You've got to sit them down and you've got to tell them. You're going to say, my kids are going to freak out. They're going to be scared. That's the idea. That is the idea. Okay. Now, I'm not suggesting you sit down a four-year-old and put all kinds of dark ideas in his mind about who God is. Okay? This conversation is going to take a lifetime. All right? What I am suggesting is that you, you make subtle innuendos when people in the family are stepping out of line that those things are offensive to God, and if they're not careful, the judgment of God is liable to find them soon. Right? And, and listen, that's a part of the fear of the Lord. Okay? Daniel? Well, just, you know, we, uh, in, in Hebrews 11, it says of Noah that he was 
uh, warned of the coming wrath and through fear made an ark. Mm-hmm. You know, we, we should teach them that there is a judgment coming and it is utter destruction. Mm-hmm. And, and they should be moved by that to, to find their place in God. Amen. Amen. And, and of course, God is, is freely offering an ark of safety. Mm-hmm. Is He not? Terry? Also, with the balance of God, as you were saying, we're going to get to this in First John, it says, perfect love cast out here. So there's no It's not necessary to always be afraid of God. Perfect love cast out here if you're involved in punishment. Mm-hmm. And it also says in First John that uh, this is the love of God that we keep His commandments, and His commandments are, are not burdensome. So for obeying God, there's nothing to fear. Amen. Amen. And not only that, as we as we come to love God, which is really what this verse is saying, is as we come to love God and the love of God is made complete in us, in other words, that there is that true, godly, holy devotion and affection inside of our heart for God, right? The last thing in the world we're going to do is sin against Him, right? Because of that adoration and that affection that we have for Him, the last thing that we want to do is offend Him. Right? So that we, we wind up in this loving, gracious relationship with God whereby we learn obedience because our hearts are so grateful. Right? And we learn obedience because God is so beautiful and lovely and, and His heart is so rich and full. The last thing in the world we want to do is offend Him. Right? And we've got to teach this to our kids. They're not going to get that by osmosis. That's the thing they get by instruction. Amen? Carlos, you were going to comment there. More or less, you're saying, I know I was brought up Catholic, and I was brought up to the fear of God. Mm-hmm. And I just knew that when I sinned, God knew, and He was really unhappy with me. Mm-hmm. And I came to a point where I couldn't, uh, I just couldn't uh, stop sinning. Mm-hmm. I just, I just, I didn't understand it. And then finally, when I met God, then I realized that He was love, mm-hmm. and He still hated sin, mm-hmm. but He loved me. Amen. So, you know, once you fall in love with God, mm-hmm. then it, it, it's, uh, it just makes sense. Mm-hmm. But Amen. before you fall in love with God, before you meet God, mm-hmm. before you're born again, mm-hmm. uh, you just need, you know. Judgment and condemnation. Mm-hmm. Where do you go? You, know, you can't tease him because you keep sinning. But I did. I kept sinning. I couldn't figure this thing out. Amen. Amen. And then finally, when I, when God allowed me to meet him, and love him, then whoa, this is a different. Amen. Ten thousand pound weight off the shoulders, yeah, huh? Just to release the note. Yeah. yeah. Amen. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. The Scripture says, right? You'll wind up the rest of your life in fear of death and misery. Why? No power to overcome sin. No remedy for the sins we've already committed. Amen? But thanks be to God who gives us the victory in Jesus Christ. Amen? Okay. Sophia? I just wanted to say that the fear of God for me has just made His humiliation and His love for me all the greater. Mm-hmm. Because you see that he's this great and holy and that terrifying being who humbles himself for our sake to mm-hmm. show and bestow just gracious and lavish love upon us. Mm-hmm. The contrast is so great and it makes it all the more amazing. It does. Amen. God help us. God help us. Carol? <laughs> I just wanted to say in regard to children when we're correcting them uh, for something they've done wrong, even for three or four years old, at that time we can tell them that God is not pleased with their activity or their uh, disrespect or whatever it is. And he works <coughs> into their life as they're coming up. Why mm-hmm. he understands that right at that moment mm-hmm. or not, mm-hmm. there'll become a time that it will. 
Amen. Amen. And that's why we, you know, we, this thing is something we've got to do consistently and constantly. You know, many of you have said, you know, consistency is a major important thing. Start early and be consistent, right? And I, and I like I'm suggesting this morning, you're still going to be waging that war when they're 17, <laughs> right? Yeah, it does. It does. As they mature, as they become adults, and they get to that place where they're going to launch out into the world, there is a world full of battles awaiting them and awaiting you. Amen? So don't think for one minute that it's, you know, you're going to get to this place and you're finally going to be over the hill and now you can rest. Okay? Because then once they get up and they grow up, then you got grandkids and now you got a whole new set of kids to teach. Right? Praise the Lord. Amen? Okay, so you need to consistently bring the Word of God to bear upon circumstances, you know. And over time, you know, as you keep consistently bringing them up in the instruction of the Lord, they're going to get it. Okay, well, one element of that is teaching them to fear God. One element. Okay? Parents must teach them to honor God and His authority and fear His judgment. This must be constantly reaffirmed in order for them to, be, to become part of the child's thinking process and for obedience to God to become their ordinary behavior. Okay? What I'm suggesting is that it needs to be constantly reaffirmed, which is what Harold was just saying. As they grow up, you just keep reaffirming these principles to them. Okay? Proverbs 9.10 says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. Okay? They need to know and understand who God is. They need to know why we should be afraid of God. Right? They need to have a, a true reverence for God. Ecclesiastes twelve, thirteen and fourteen says, The conclusion when all has been heard is fear God and keep his commandments, because this applies to every person. For God will bring every act to judgment. Everything which is hidden, whether it is good or evil. Okay? Kids need to learn that God is a judge. And that He is judging. Okay? Listen, all these frightful, fearful things about God drive us to the cross. Okay? I, that's what I heard in Carlos telling us there. As growing up, I learned to fear God. Where did it drive him? It drew him to a place where he couldn't do it on his own. He had no power over sin. And he was ripe for gospel. He was ripe for a Savior who would come along and forgive all of his sins and cleanse him and wash him and strengthen him and be a shield and a hope and a refuge for him. Amen? Those things all work together for the good of the child. And bring them to the cross. Amen? Okay, so teaching them to fear God is one piece of that. Here's more. Teach them that wisdom is supreme and that they should constantly pursue it. Okay? Who look up a couple of scriptures for me? Somebody? Carol? Proverbs 8.11. Daryl? James 3.17. Rosie? Uh, Matthew 11.19. Teach them that wisdom is supreme and that they should constantly pursue it. Okay? This is one of those concept things, okay? This is one of those concept things. This isn't like Johnny don't walk out in the street. Okay? This is more like, Johnny, you need to learn the value of not doing things which are harmful to you. You with me? It's, it's teaching a child that it's, it's a very valuable and important thing for them to know what wisdom is and the value of making right choices in life because with every choice they make, there's a consequence. And that with every choice they make, that's a valuable choice that they're going to make because with that choice, they're either going to glorify God with their life or they're going to defame His name because they belong to Him. Right? We have to teach them the value of making choices. Because, listen, they're going to start making choices when they're just itty little bitty babies in your house that can affect the rest of their life. Okay? 
These God, by the time these kids are teenagers, they need to know these principles. They need to know these principles. They need to know that sin will destroy them. And if they start walking in sin, that there's going to be very definite consequences that are destructive in their life. Amen? Listen, more than that, they need to have the principle in their mind that, of wisdom and folly and choosing the right thing and not being foolish. Right? That's what the Proverbs are there for. They're there for us to learn the benefit of wisdom in making right choices and the destructive nature of sinful, foolish choices. Amen? That's what's woven all through the Proverbs. Would you agree? Amen? Carol, of Proverbs 8.11. May I read 10 with 11? Sure. Take my instruction and not silver and knowledge rather than choice of soul. For wisdom is better than jewels, and all desirable things cannot be compared to her. All desirable things cannot be compared to her. Okay? Parents must teach their kids that wisdom is something to be desired more than anything else in the world. Okay? Amen? Amen. That's what the Scripture is saying. I'm not suggesting they should desire wisdom more than they desire God Himself. Okay? But I'm suggesting of all the things in the world that they could desire, all physical created things that there are to possess, a greater thing is wisdom. That's what the Scripture says. James 3.17. Daryl? The wisdom from above is first pure. Peaceful, gentle, reasonable, full of mercy, and good fruit, unwavering, without hypocrisy. Mm-hmm. You know, there's the description there of heavenly wisdom and of good, virtuous things to be had which come from wisdom. Right? Those are the kind of things we need to be teaching our kids. <coughs> we need to sit them down and teach them those things. I keep saying they're not going to learn by osmosis. What I mean is, you've got to sit them down and teach them these things. You've got to open up the Scripture and say, Johnny, you see what God says about mercy? You see what God says about kindness? You see what God says about patience? You see what God says about sin? You see what God says about all these things you're facing in your life? You've got to teach them. You've got to tell them. Constantly reaffirming and bringing them up in the instruction of the Lord. They're not going to learn any other way. The nature of your parenting task is didactic. Okay? We have to constantly bring the Word of God to bear in the circumstances of life. And I'm not just suggesting that you sit down at the dinner table and read the Bible and you're done. Either. Right? You and I both know that the Shema says what? Talk about them when you sit down, when you lie down, when you get up, and when you walk along the way. Write them on your gates. Write them on your doors. Bind them as frontless before your eyes. Bind them on your wrists. Right? Everywhere you go, put the Word of God before you so that it changes your thinking process and that the Word of God becomes your ordinary thinking process. Right? Then it will go well with you, says Moses. Right? Then it will go well with you. Proverbs 3.13 says this, How blessed is the man who finds wisdom and the man who gains understanding. How blessed is he! The Scripture says, For its profit is better than the profit of silver, and its gain than fine gold. You want your kids to go well in life? You want them to be happy and blessed and content and fulfilled? Let them find wisdom. Let them find wisdom. She is more precious than jewels, and nothing you desire compares with her. Long life is in her right hand. In her left hand are riches and honor. Her ways are pleasant ways, and all her paths are peace. She is a tree of life to those who take hold of her, and happy are all who hold her fast. Parents must teach their children to value wisdom. 
and to pursue it. Amen? You say, how do I do that? I'll, I'll give you a starting place. Open up the Bible and read them the Proverbs and discuss them. That's not hard. Anybody can do that. If you can read, you can do that. Amen? And you can say, Oh, oh, look at these wonderful commandments. Oh, look at this treasure. You know, and you speak of the Word of God very highly. And you, you impart to those kids a love and an affection for the commandments of God. And you say, Oh, look at this wisdom. Isn't that profound? Yeah, Dad! Wow, that's fabulous stuff! Right? You with me? Listen, you don't teach him to value and love God, let me tell you something. The world's going to teach him to value and love sin. And you know what's going to happen? It's going to destroy him. It's going to be cancer in their soul. Right? Start, it starts with our loving God and valuing God and having holy affections. Amen? Rosie, you have uh, Matthew eleven nineteen. The son of man came eating and drinking, and they say, Look, a glutton and a wine-dipper, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. But wisdom is justified by her children. Amen. Jesus says, You people are scoffing at me. Let me tell you something. Wisdom is justified by her children. What do you mean, Jesus? She's proved right by her actions. Who is the wise man? Let him show it by his what? Good life and by deeds done in humility. Amen? Wisdom is proved right by her actions. Jesus says. Okay? You want your kids to be happy and blessed? Listen to the word of the Lord. How blessed is the man who finds wisdom. Amen? I, I have a lot of hands going up this morning. I'm sorry, I can't do it. I, I, I've, been on, I've been in this passage for five weeks now. We've got to... Okay, teach them to love God. Teach them to love God. Okay? Listen, as a parent, you have to teach your kids to love God. Hear this, okay? They don't love God by nature. By nature, they rebel against God. They're sinners. So you've got to teach them to love God. You've got to talk about God like He is the most glorious, beautiful, majestic, awesome thing in the world. Why? Because he is. And because they don't get up and go to second grade and sit down in the chair and the teacher doesn't sit there and teach them all day long about how beautiful and majestic and glorious God is. On the contrary. Right? It might even behoove you to sit them in your own chair for second grade so that you can teach them that. Amen? <clears throat> The Shema says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. Right? What's the next, very next thing it says? And thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy mind, with all thy soul, and with all thy strength. That's what it says. And you know, when they came to Jesus and they said, Jesus, of all of the commandments in all the Bible, which is the greatest commandment? And Jesus quoted Deuteronomy 6. And He said, To love the Lord thy God with everything that is within you. With all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul, with all your strength, He says. Parents, we have to teach our kids to love God. We've got to teach Him that He is what is valuable. He is the valuable thing. Everything is His. It all belongs to Him. It was all made for His purposes. He's the sovereign King on the throne. 
that everything exists by His will and for His good pleasure. This has to become part of their thinking process. You know, we don't want to tell them, uh, don't sin just because it's going to give them a blister. But that it defames the holy glory of God. Right? The creation, we weren't made to defame God. We were made to glorify God. Amen? We've got to teach them to love God. The most important, this is the most important thing in life. Parents must teach their children to love God by means of constant training in His Word and modeling in their life and speech a holy affection and desire for God. Listen, here's what you do. In your house, His praise shall continually be in my mouth. Right? Every good and perfect thing. We tell the kids, look how good that is. Oh, it's so good. It's pleasing to the Lord. It's righteous and altogether holy. Johnny, when you love your sister and you're kind to her like that and you share your stuff with her, that's a glorious, holy thing. It's just like Jesus. Right? And we've got to speak about God's commandments and His person with affection and with desire and passion. Amen? That's how we teach them to love God. Is there a sense of devotion and holy affection in your home for God? If there is, I'll tell you what, you're not going to run around like a bunch of angry uh, people full of strife and discord in your home. On the contrary, you're going to be very joyful and peaceful and content and happy. And you're going to have the kind of patience that you need to raise up kids and the kind of self-control that you need to discipline kids rightly with love and with tender affection. Amen? It all starts with loving God. It all starts with what you value. You know, sometimes we're, we get so angry and we respond to, with our, to our kids out of anger and you know what it is? It's pure selfishness. It's very destructive for kids. It's provoking them to anger. And then it causes them a life full of sin because they grow up an angry child. Okay? What we need to employ with those kids is the tender, loving affection of God which constantly is instructing them and correcting them and helping them along the way just like Christ is doing with you. Amen? Amen? But parents, we've got to teach them to love God. This is what it means. Bring them up in the instruction of the Lord, first and foremost. First and foremost commandment. Deuteronomy 6.5 And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And these words which I commanding you today shall be upon your heart. Amen? Lastly there, to make sure that they learn to discern good and to hate evil. Parents must teach their children the value of proper discernment and judgment. If they are to serve God in an acceptable manner all the days of their life, they must master this skill. They need to be able to tell the difference between what is good and righteous and holy and, and that which is evil and wicked and abominable to God. If they can't tell the difference, then they don't know how to view their world. Because the world is full of good things and evil things. Things that glorify God and things that profane His holy name. Amen? So we've got to teach them, that's evil, that's wicked, don't touch the unclean thing. Right? And that's good, that's righteous, that's holy. Let's do that. Let's praise that. Let's exalt that goodness. Why? Because it comes from God. And He's good. Amen? Parents must continually point out what is holy and what is profane and give honor to that which is holy and disgust for that which is evil. You know, um, there's so many things in our culture that they're just, they are so abominable. It's just absolutely offensive to me to see how the, the, the secular world thinks. It's just an absolute offense to God. 
And you know the scripture says to hate what is evil. I want to ask you a question. Are you teaching your kids to hate what is evil? And if so, how are you doing that? How are you doing that? May I suggest that when you see something that's evil and you're together with the kids, you say, Hey, that's evil! That's wicked! Wow, God is offended by that! Oh, that that poor person would learn to fear the Lord! What's going to happen in the day when God is angry with them? Right? Oh, if they could just know Jesus, they could find a refuge from God's anger. You know where this world is headed, right? It's going to hell in a handbasket, to coin the phrase. All you got to do is turn on the evening news. What do you see? Sin and strife and anger and war and discord and hatred and every vile thing. It's just all right there. But you know, how, how do kids learn? How, how do they learn what's good, what's acceptable, what's pleasing to the Lord, and what's not? You've got to teach them. When you see evil things, you've got to tell them, that's an evil thing. Isn't that disgusting? You've got to breed a disgust in their heart for evil. Okay, now, I'm not suggesting that they, you ought to teach them how to hate unbelievers. I, I'm not for a moment suggesting that. What I'm telling is that you teach them to hate what is evil and call it what it is. Call sin, sin. And call it wickedness and unrighteousness. And let them see clearly and have clear discernment in their life what's right and what's wrong. Amen? Parents, you've got to teach them. They're not learning any other way. Ezekiel 44 says, Moreover, they shall teach my people the difference between the holy and the profane and cause them to discern between the clean and the unclean. That was the duty of the priest that Ezekiel was describing there. That the priest was to teach God's people the difference between the clean and the unclean, between the holy and the profane, and to teach them to discern. Parents, you've got to teach your kids how to discern. These are the important things that a kid needs to learn in life. They need to learn how to see God rightly and how to live a righteous, holy life before Him. Because let me tell you something. God is providentially involved in their life. And He is going to bring every deed to judgment. Amen? Kids need to learn how to fear God. They need to learn how to love God. They need to learn how to discern between good and evil. Romans 12 says, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. For what? That you may prove what is the will of God, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Why? So you can discern good and evil. So that you can discern what pleases God. That you can walk in it. That, that that wisdom could be proved right in your life and that you could be a child of wisdom. Amen? And in verse 9 of the same chapter, Paul says, Let love be without hypocrisy. He says, Abhor what is evil and cling to what is good. Amen? I'm suggesting you need to teach your kids the difference between good and evil so that they'll grow up with the mind of Christ. Okay? Let me just say that. <clears throat> There's a lot of things we haven't talked about. Why? Because when you talk about the discipline and instruction of the Lord, <laughs> you're talking about the whole panoply of Scripture. Okay? I want to suggest that <clears throat> these are categories of principles that your kids need to learn. Okay? But what should season every one of these is this idea that every one of us is a sinner before God. And that God, God's love is very gracious and it's very merciful and it's very patient. And there's this whole sense of awe that comes from God because His grace is so amazing. Amen? 
And even when we're pointing out evil to the kids, you know, that we would say to them, you know, uh, yeah, that sin is really evil, but that we would teach them not to hate people because people do evil, but to, to teach them to have pity on people because people are sinners, even as Christ pitied us in our sin. Amen? And there should be this whole sense of the character and nature of God, which is very gracious and loving and kind and patient, that, that, that should, uh, should season all of this teaching with the kids. Amen? And parents, you know, here, here, here's the kicker to the whole thing. That that grace and that love and that mercy and that patience should be your character as you bring those kids up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. You know, if you're always blowing your top and losing your patience with your kids, then they're going to grow up thinking God always blows his top and loses his patience. Are you with me? But if there's a good balance in your parenting of tender affection and loving kindness, coupled with correction and admonishment and wisdom and reproof, okay, then the kids are going to learn that good balance which is in the character of God. You with me? And they're going to begin to think of God in those same terms. They're going to begin to see all the beauty of the virtue of all the facets of the glory of God. Amen? So, God help us. Um, I want to remind you that you can't do any of these things apart from divine grace. And this isn't a big long list of legalistic rules for Christians to get under a heavy load. What this is is a beautiful way of life that God has entrusted to us to pass it on to these kids so that they can be saved also. Amen? So, would you join with me in crying out to God for His help? God, our Father, Lord, we, we see Your glory and Your virtue, Your goodness, God, your, your amazing grace and mercy, Father. Oh, Lord, we see the terror of all of Your threatenings. God, we are in awe of You. We do very reverently humble ourselves before You. And God, we see this task of parenting before us, Lord, and all that You have called us to. God, we need Your help. Lord, we know the Scripture says that You're our helper. And so, God, we call out to You and we say, God, help us to be good parents to our kids. Help us, Lord, to know what Your discipline is. Help us to know what Your instruction is. God, help our character to be like Yours, of grace and kindness and patience and mercy, God. Lord, we just pray that You will grant us divine grace in our task before us. We pray, Lord, that you would gently correct us, Lord, when we get off the path, that you would just continue to do your good work in us, and, oh God, that you would overlook our sins. Lord, may we not push you to the end of your patience, God. Father, we just pray that that you'll just, uh, just continue to remind us, Lord, that you are our strength and our hope, our refuge and our shield. God, that you are all in all. Our trust is in you, God. We thank you for your great love to us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.